this is not Joe Pesci. And uh, maybe you're listening to the assholes, maybe you're not. With Jamie and that stuttering fucking prick, Pete. Hey, Pete, why don't you go get your fucking shine box, huh? Yeah, fucking put a hole in the back of your head, you fucking stunard. Welcome to Sassholes, the podcast, a show where me, Jamie Carney, and Pete Jansen say, hey, Pete. Whoop, 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 whoop. Talk, we talk about everything and anything that we've experienced in our combined 60 years of, of software uh, as a service or cloud software environment. Today's show, usually we have the guest only on during the guest segment, but we have Jason Ferrara, who used to work with us at CareerBuilder, who uh, was recently at Outmatch. Jason, you want to say hi? Hello. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. And Pete, thanks for making the whoop whoop noise. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm here for. Jason requested that. Jason's going to give us insight into marketing and marketing in general. You know, something uh, we we lack a lot of experience in, and uh, we're going to talk about in the segment uh, coming up. We'll talk about marketing, especially in today's pandemic era and how that's changed. And we'll catch up with Jason, see how he's doing. And we're going to catch up with Jason, of course. But um, before we get started, uh, we have a horrible joke of the day. Um, That's bullcrap, Carney. Before he even gets started on the joke, I'm going to say I dislike it. Um, but go ahead. Let it dead out in post. <laughs> go Insert ahead, Pete. good joke here. Well, Carney, I was going to tell you a time-traveling joke, but you already didn't like it. Exactly. That's why I said I didn't <laughs> like it, because I knew the script. <laughs> and yes i don't like it carney don't forget to like us on apple Podcasts. give us some loving yeah. stars smash yeah. the, the like button on facebook last okay. week we went over a bunch of uh comments uh on topics that you guys wanted us to cover keep those coming either on sassholes.net or on our linkedin profiles or on the comments when we post these on our social media areas uh the more the merrier and um, Ferrara right. had the mo- Ferrara had the most, so that's why he's on right now. Yeah. Um, we're going to go through our shout-outs, which is the next segment. And Jason, jump in and any shout-outs you think of. I know you weren't prepared, uh, but go ahead. Um, Pete. Prepared enough. Well, first, first one I want to give out there is uh, for Brian Rosino, just because he's a funny guy and he amuses me. <laughs> I did send you Bill's uh, – did Bill send you the uh, the text as well? Uh, possibly. Oh, because I, I, I thought I sent it to you as well. Where Brian Rosino is basically um, doing his impersonations on TikTok. So we, we, we'll, we'll leave a, a, a thing of his TikTok handle. So you know, you he, would be, he would be something interesting to have on the show, Carney. Okay. What else? Uh, who else you got? I'm going to give a shout out to uh, Manoj, Jose. He um, he worked at Kerbalder forever in the BI team. He just recently started as a, a key two consulting as a cloud architect in their BI. Really smart guy. Um, so I'm giving him a shout out. Manoj Atwa. <laughs> Manoj, Jose. All right, old school guy Rick Borges, vice president of sales at. Campus ESP. I think he was at another uh, education uh, company. He started off the street with me. Poor guy. Look at him working his way up. Jason, you got any shout outs? You you just interject. Otherwise, I'm going to go with mine, which is a shout out to Matt Sullivan, who had a one year anniversary at First Advantage. I believe another shout out should go to, I think Michael Zellner works at First Advantage, if I'm not mistaken. But, Zellner. Uh, yeah, so I'm giving two shout-outs, a package deal. Both work at First Advantage. Uh, Sullivan, uh, I believe he's a Florida State fan and was a very anti-Notre Dame guy. Um, uh, so we Way always had our nice little pose. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I got Roger Thompson starting a new position at as area sales manager at Tough Shed. Roger Thompson – Little known fact, member of the 1985 Public League champion, Lane Tech Indians. Uh, well, they're not Indians anymore. I think they're Warriors. All right, Lane Tech High School football team. Congrats, Roger uh, Thompson. What Wait, else you, you got? Part, are you, you're part of Lane Tech, right? Uh, I am Lane part Tech of Lane Tech. Tech. Yes, I am. I am part. Yeah. 
All right. Shout out to class uh, of 2005. <laughs> so you just graduated. Good for you. 2005. Um, shout out to Craig Nevels. Uh, very funny guy was in the market. Plays a, plays, a, plays a mean third base for the Yanks. Craig Nevels was at Career Builder Forever. He just started with uh, INAP as their senior web and graphic designer. I believe, and I, I've got to check, but I believe he's still the model for the Career Builder 404 page. You might be uh, right. Which is their error page. Yeah, you might be right. Uh, <laughs> Craig Nevels, by the way. Good, good shout out. He's a, he's a great guy. Sox fan, Southsider. Um, and yeah, he, he had a couple tours at Kerbal there, but he is their model, I believe, for the 404 page, which I imagine is getting a lot of use. Um, <laughs> no relation to uh, Kevin. None. Hey, and before we get into the news of the day, and Jason, if you have anybody else you want to give a shout out, uh, interject. But uh, if you, before we get into the news, we got to get, um, I think I forgot this on the last uh, uh, podcast. Well, our we commercial. Didn't bill. We didn't pay our bill. So the data you need to uncover the reasons you have the symptoms you do, um, you got to go to neuronoodle.com and get a brain map. If get a doodle of your noodle. Get a doodle, get a doodle of your noodle. noodle. If you mention Sassels, they'll give you a 50% off right now on a brain map. That's typically $199, but with the word Sassels, when you book it, you will get the initial test for 50% off. Uh, Carney, uh, it's a, it's a great I hear service. they're running out of them. They're running out of them. Big they're holiday. running out of them. My kids were just on CBS News as models, and my wife for the NeuroNoodle uh, concussion protocol that they did on CBS. They did a great Local. job, by the way, Carney. They did. All right. So now for the news of the day. Okay, uh, job applications for unemployment rose 853,000 last week. They didn't count me, Carney. What, what's the rules for being unemployed? You have to be looking for a job. You have to be actively looking for a job. So if- And uh, podcasting is not a job. Yes, and you, okay. but when they survey you, you have to say you're looking for a job. If you're not looking for a job, even though- like I said, the hospitality guys, uh, the hotel guys might not be looking for a job. Um, they will not be considered part of the unemployment factor. All right. They rose 853,000 last week, highest level since uh, mid-September. Housing, Karnak. Home buying boom has added a collective $1 trillion in homeowner equity this year. It's about a 17000 per homeowner, according to CoreLogic. But currently, yeah. there's a crisis in, brewing in the rental market. 11.4 million households are behind on their rent. Americans wow. could owe $70 billion in rent, fees and utility bills. Well, I mean, I imagine the housing boom is happening, especially in Texas, where Jason is living. Yeah. Um, the housing boom well, is happening there. I know everyone that lives in an urban area is moving to the suburbs because uh, of all the lockdowns and the riots that are going on in urban areas. Everyone's, you know, it's, it's switched. It feel, I felt like everyone was moving back into the city is now moving back out of the city because of what's been going on. It's kind of, well, you know what, you know what to say about Texas, they got a lot of steers there. Wealth in Q3 net household uh, wealth rose 3.2% to 123 trillion. I don't know if I podcasters count for that. So the big picture, the slowing recovery isn't, isn't expected to perk up over the holidays, Carney. Surveys of economists show rising pessimism about employment and growth prospects in Q1. Sorry, guys. Uh, well, I've been saying that every single time when the unemployment's been going down. I've been saying it's going to get worse before it gets better. And then uh, let's get to our buddy COVID here. So there's something interesting coming up with the shots, the vaccinations, besides the people that don't want to get it versus the ones that do feds are leaving it up to the state who, who gets the first shots. And, uh, let's see. The ethical question is they debated which participants in the vaccine trial, you know, you know what a blind uh, test is there, Carney? Yeah. You don't know if you got the placebo or not. So the ethical dilemma is uh, the people that got the placebo, are they going to tell them so they can get the vaccine? But if they do that, then it invalidates the test. We, our listeners I, found that interesting. I think after a certain time, right? 
And no, the whole thing. Can't tell them. Blind. That's what blind and, is, man. In Illinois, the first people, once the vaccine is proven to be effective, uh, Governor uh, Born Retired is going to get the first one, and then uh, Mayor Little Brain is going to get the second one. Well, how is he going to get it in Florida? Yeah, he's going to have to fly back to Florida after from having Florida. a uh, from Florida to having a party with fifty people. Um, all right, sorry, don't mean to. Hey, all right, no, all right. That, so, hey Pete, the that, other, the other, the other COVID piece of interesting COVID news that the Journal had yesterday is on uh, vaccine passports. Do you do you have to have ah. people say they've got the vaccine or not in order to travel? So you got another ethical issue. Uh, around that good ar- good article and, and interesting topic. What if you, what if, that's that's very interesting because what if you have a medical condition that um, you know might have medical conditions, legit medical conditions or religious conditions that say they can't take the vaccine? Or Does like that mean they can't internet? travel? Or is my internet going out? Um, we'll edit that out post. Okay, so now on to our segment, I guess, right? We're done with all that. Let's get on to our segment. It's I wish marketing. we knew a good marketing guy. Marketing, and, and, and one of the guys I was trying to get on at one point was John Lenzen. Um, I apologize to John if he's listening because I sort of dropped off the face of the earth for a little bit there. But Jason Ferrara is on to talk about marketing, marketing during the pandemic. So, Jason. Yeah, hi. Your opinion uh, well, first, give a little uh, background of yourself uh, for our audience and, and what's going on with you before we get into the uh, segment. Yeah, sure. So uh, for the last six years, I was the chief marketing officer at a company called Outmatch, uh, which is a, a human intelligence company, uh, assessments and video interview. Um, and that was, uh, that's in Dallas, where I am sitting right now, watching it rain. And uh, before that... Um, I was not immediately before that, but I, I worked with both of you guys at uh, at Career Builder. So, um, you know, in the in the corporate marketing team there. So, pretty much technology marketing my my whole career, and um, I think of that in terms of trying to explain complex things in a simple way to people. That's what that's what I that's what I try to do in the in the roles that I take. And like I think probably. Ten percent of our listeners, you're you're in a job transition mode right now. Your company was just bought and yep. and you exited. So if you're looking for a uh, a very smart, well respected marketing person, um, please reach out to Jason today. And Pete and I, if our we vouch, we vouch. If our word counts for anything, we vouch for him. Jason, you can ask us if you wanted us to cut that out. <laughs> no, nah, I'm I'm okay with that. I'm fine. <laughs> I want the endorsement of the sassholes. The sassholes endorsement is if it's worth anything. That's right. Um, we're giving it to you. Yeah. All right. So, what are the themes based on your experience? I know you just exited uh, uh, the, the marketing area, but you were experiencing it for at least six months in the pandemic. Um, what was the massive shifts that you saw? Um, from marketing before to marketing now and, and where do you see marketing moving forward when you're marketing B2B or B2C, however you want to address it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, lots of questions and big topics there. Um, I think the biggest shift I saw and marketers talk a lot about relevancy, you know, and that's important at any time, but relevancy took on a whole new meaning starting, you know, March third or whatever, uh, try, trying to keep your product message relevant to a buyer who really wasn't looking to buy, um, but also making sure that it wasn't this really overtly commercial request. Um, you know, so, so obviously number one relevancy, but number two, like taking care of the human being behind the request. Uh, is is really important, and I think that's the thing that'll carry over. It's so. Go ahead. So to re- recap that, like, be more authentic, right? Right. Yeah. T- it, yeah, right? I think I think so. It's it's um, when when you start forgetting that there are real people behind 
the, the who are receiving your messages and and especially in the human capital space this whole space is about people and how people interact with each other and the second you forget that that's when i think you see backlash from buyers and and um just people on social media it's just that interjection of of human humanness that i think people forget when they're marketing a product or a service and these are people who are buying and people who are using and um, people who are making decisions that you're really talking to. I think that's not just related to marketing. I know sales and marketing are so closely tied, but sales reps, the environment that you were in where maybe you would talk to your client, sell them a three-year SaaS deal and not talk to them until six months before the renewal. Yeah. You got to, and, and, uh, and I know everyone has preached that probably from the onset to, to you got to have some sort of connection with your clients uh, after so that you can get upsells or, or just engage with them and make sure everything is going okay. I think nowadays you have to touch point with your clients more often than ever because that person is really who bought it from you. And it's also a great lead for future because there's, it's a, it's a, 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 a turbulent society right now. That person who bought from you today might be at a different company six months from now. And you want to make sure you have that relationship. And there's so many sales reps out there that buy and drop and move on. And I think that's where marketing has to help, but also salespeople, it's on you to sort of keep that going. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. Um, And when we started talking about, you know, me coming on this show and, and Pete had said, you know, we'll talk about, marketing during COVID. So I am making a little list, you know, what's changed, what's new and that sort of thing. And what I, I laughed at my list when I made it because I'm like, well, this is, this is just fundamental marketing and sales stuff that we've forgotten, or we've just, we're moving at such a speed that you forget to stop and say, is that message relevant to stop and say, what is it that I know about my buyer that will make it more relevant? Stop and say, Am I really having a, a real conversation with my client or with my prospect? And like you said, Jamie, it's, people, we talk about that all the time, but then you start moving and you start growing and changing and you forget about that. And then you have get this slap in the face like COVID. And you're like, yeah, actually, you have to really go back to the basics because people will, will very quickly sniff out the fact that you're disingenuous about your message. And so it really is just that return to is what we're saying the most human, relatable, relevant message we can say. And if not, you got to change it. I mean, Pete, you, you chime in here, but I, I think in the past when things are going well, sales reps for the most part are, are, are lazy in the fact that they want marketing to help them with formal communication to their clients in a more systematic approach. And I feel like nowadays you can't wait for marketing. In fact, a lot of the marketing departments are gutted. You've got to focus on just keeping up and have an informal communication more often than waiting for marketing to help you with those touch points. Does that sound right, Pete? Well, it depends on the, the company you're at. I mean, we are SaaS holes here and software as a service. And if you're at a true SaaS company, you know, are you a product-driven company or are you a sales-driven company? Because if you're at a sales-driven company, which I'm sure we've all been a part of, sales and marketing more often than not hate each other. Am I off base on that, Farrar? No, I mean, I, you know, I talk, I'll tell people this all the time. When we, we, we talk about the, the relationship between sales and marketing and I tell them stories about learning to work with you, Pete, and being like, well, listen, what value... I mean, you and I would have these really open conversations. Jason, what value can you bring to my team? They're, they're moving at a speed and you just got here. So what can we do? And so, you know, that, that, again, that's where setting up directionally, setting up the right message is important at a leadership and, and maybe at a marketing level. But then the delivery of those messages to the sales team and then say, hey, this is the, this is the framework. You know, you have to make this your own if you're going to be successful selling. And I think that's where we got Pete when we were working together, where we got so connected was like that 
let my guys say what they're going to say. Just give them the general framework for that. That's what's so important. Well, that's where I've never worked at a product driven organization. You know, we started off in advertising, we morphed into uh, software and I, I don't think we ever got to the point where the product people were driving things. If the product people drive things and marketing comes into play and then, I mean, you guys make it easier to sell. So you don't need such talented salespeople. You know, I've been a part of rough products to sell. So you need to have pretty driven salespeople. Um, so if you, if you have product driven uh, a product, then it's just, you know, open the doors and sell it. The other thing that I had a note on here about the technology piece of things, uh, Bob Montgomery, you remember him. Uh, he always said t- technology the only thing it's good for is to speed up a process. Well, if you don't have a good process in place, you're just speeding up something that isn't very good, you know? And I think, I mean, I'm not technically in a corporate environment, but I can only imagine that now with zoom coming into play. uh, If you're, if you're good, you will see it quicker. If you're bad, you will see it quicker. And if you, people are getting a hold of you quicker and you have a good process in place, uh, it's going to show, a lot quicker. You guys got any thoughts on that? I mean, yeah, I think, I think right now with how everyone is remote and, and, and therefore less people are stuck in conference rooms. Um, yep. They're behind their computer. They can be um, contacted more often and, and easier accessible because they're always behind their always accessible. Now, Therefore, I think uh, your activity is going to get you uh, more eyes than it has in the past. And therefore, you better have that process down, Pat, on your message and what you're going to say, because it'll be exposed quicker if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, there's a huge process going on with, with marketing and sales, like the convergence of developing a sales process. Um, I mean, in my, in my experience in the past several years, the the sales team and the marketing team are working on that process together because that technology is is <laughs> marketing uses the data that sales is generating to put in the same piece of technology. So if you don't have the right process, you know, you're you don't know what's going on. You don't have the data. You don't have the insight to to help each other drive demand or or um, build a go to market strategy that that is you know really clear and compelling. Where I was going with it, Jason, was um, the technology piece, the process is uh, a drip campaign that you're not consistent with. So you have the reps contacting uh, a lead, you're contacting a lead. Sales doesn't know what marketing sent out. Marketing doesn't know what the sales guys have put out there. I can only imagine it just, just gets magnified now that the the prospects are overwhelmed with these contacts and it's like delete unsubscribe. Yeah, no, I, you're, you're exactly right. I, I guess I think, I think two things. One is I'm constantly amazed how well email marketing performs when you are able to, when you really know the, your buyer persona and send them, send them relevant uh, content. It still performs really well. But the point you bring up, Pete, is, is a really important one, which is if the marketing team's running a drip campaign to certain buyers and that potential buyer comes in the business, come, raises their hand and says, I, you know, I want more information, there has to be a moment there where there's an understanding. Well, does it go to sales right away? Does it still get nurtured by marketing? And what piece of technology does that? Because you, you're exactly right, Pete. Reps are doing something at the same time marketing's doing something. And not only is that internally frustrating to the prospect, they're like, ah, this company doesn't know what they're doing. Forget about it. Click right. unsubscribe. Right. And, and so that, you know, that's where that sales process is so important. And, you know, the, the, the marketing team, the CMO needs to like embrace all this technology and <laughs> buy it, try it, use it, do all this stuff, but you can't lose sight of, what happens day to day in reality with a rep is they don't know, they don't know what's going on. So unless you're very clear about this is the point at which you interact and this is what you should be saying, or 
take it and run with it at this point, you, you end up stepping on each other's toes. So I got a question for you. Talking about technology and marketing. <clears throat> Two of the big keywords I hear a lot right now, and, I, and I've known about these in the past, obviously coming from the advertising world, mm-hmm. but a lot of companies are moving to, and they, they throw the word around programmatic marketing, right? Yeah. Yep. It, what the hell does it, that mean? <laughs> exactly. So I have a different perspective when they say programmatic marketing. I, I think of it as a pay-per-click uh, uh, intuition. But when you hear marketing department saying, we're moving away from you know, this type of marketing to programmatic marketing. We want to spend more with programmatic marketing. How would you as a marketeer define that? And this is my, I'm just trying to learn from you. Yeah. To be perfectly honest, I have similar reaction that Pete had, which is what the hell does that mean? Um, Okay. Because problematic. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I think like there are ways you can automate your go-to-market process. And you have to do that if you want to scale, right? You, you, can't, you can't do that. A human being cannot be ma- making every single contact and every single touch point. You just can't scale that way. Um, but when what scares me about what you said, Jamie, is um, that means to me that the company is not putting the time into review the ideal customer profile and their personas and making sure that stuff is accurate because you could, you can program output to out to your, your persona and you can score and do all that automatically, but you have to like every, I don't know, depends on the speed of your business, but every six months or, or every year you have to step back and look at, are the scores still accurate? Are, yeah. Is the buyer still accurate? Do we really think we know what's going on with the buyer in the market? And so programmatic marketing scares me a little bit because it sounds set it and forget it. And marketing to me is anything but set it and forget it. That's what I always think of when, they're thinking, when they say programmatic marketing. I'm always like, I hope that doesn't mean what I think it means. And I, yeah. you, you confirmed a little bit of it. Another thing is, so the product, a product company versus sales company, uh, a key word in SaaS is the Gartner Magic Quadrant. Yeah. How important is the Gartner Magic Quadrant, in your opinion, in terms of selling your products, if you're in that magic quadrant? What does that mean? <laughs> so there's, and there's, there's four quadrants. Obviously, if you're in the magic quadrant, it means you're in the upper right-hand corner, which means you have a better quality than your competitor and um what is the x and y axis i think it's i think it's uh technically and and customer service or, or satisfaction i think those are the two if i'm not mistaken but i think it does it's a guy asking i mean if you're if you're if your space if there's a magic quadrant for your space uh-huh. it is a it is, a, it is a really good tool to use to say, hey, there's third party, you know, th- what we're doing has been legitimized by a third party. But savvy buyers will say, okay, that's great because I only want to spend money on the, on the magic quadrant people. Now, hopefully you have something more for me than just sending me the magic quadrant. You know, I, my, my wife works for a technology company and they use that magic quadrant as a, you know, we're, we're legit. Um, you should care about us because we solve these problems and we solve them well. But where she makes sales is when she talks to people, not when she just sends them a magic quadrant, you know? Yeah. There are some industries that don't even have it. Right. So then you're like, well, Okay, I don't have that to fall back on. So then you need to, that's where, you know, I frankly would rather use customer stories and ROI stories from a customer that says, I, I had this problem. I, you know, I bought this product and I had a change that's quantifiable in this way. To me, that's way more powerful than, than Magic Quadrant. Yeah, now, the Magic Quadrant, I, I think gets abused. I think it's a qualifying factor. Yeah. Like if you have a Magic Quadrant, you know, based on, the ability to execute on what you're saying is basically what the magic quadrant is against your competitors. That's great. It qualifies you. And if you're in the magic quadrant, then it shouldn't 
you shouldn't have to spend so much time uh, earning the right on what you're about to do. But I think it's really comes down then to, you know, your negotiation and your relationship, uh, how you can build a relationship with somebody so that you can tell the story that's really out there. Yeah. And, and I, I also think that magic quadrant matters in terms of the, the buyer journey map, right? If, if my, if my buyers already know of the industry that I'm in and they already know my company brand, uh, the, the magic quadrant's not that useful the further I get into the buyer journey. Um, if I'm in a position where I am high on the buyer journey or I'm high in the magic quadrant, I'm going to make a guess that a lot of your target market knows who you are. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's good for early in the journey. It's whatever for later, <laughs> later in the, later in the journey, people are like, listen, just give me a POC. Like <laughs> yeah. how this is going to change my life. Um, so, you know, that's how I'd use those things. Wouldn't you say though, to, to flip the script on that, right? If you were in the magic quadrant, three years later, you're up for renewal because typical SaaS deals are three-year deals, right? Yeah. Um, three years later, you're up for renewal and you move out of the magic quadrant. That's not a good thing. So I, I think once you're in the magic quadrant, you better stay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you're not in the magic quadrant anymore, you don't use it to help your renewal process. You <laughs> yeah, don't talk about whole, it. You take that out of, the pro- out of the process entirely. The problem is if you advertise it so much and then the year you yeah. don't hit, yeah. uh, you just go mute. I think uh, you, you got to figure out a way. That's where marketing comes into play. How do you spin <laughs> that story? <laughs> Yeah, that's when you downplay the magic quadrant's importance in, in yeah. the world. Yeah. Okay. That so like a really, that's a really cool term. I wrote that down, magic quadrant. The ma- it's Gartner's magic quadrant. It's used by a Gartner's. Because we get a lot of new leaders that listen to the show. So, I, you know, I'm the voice of the, the, the newbie here. I'm going to write that one down. Uh, Carney and Ferrara, marketing, you have a budget set aside to spend on acquisition of new clients versus renewal and whatnot. How, how vital is it to marketing that the sales reps uh, click the right button that says where the lead came from once they start talking to somebody? <laughs> it is, well, it's hyperbole to say it's the most important thing, but it's the most important thing, Pete. Clicking the right button on where something <laughs> came from. And, and there's if if that doesn't happen, there's a there's an enormous amount of detective work that <laughs> that goes oh, on in a marketing God. team to figure out where the lead came from. There are there is a whole um, group of individuals and people that work at a company to do that detective work. Oh yeah. So imagine the amount of money that you would be saving your company if just the sales reps took more diligence at checking that box. Because we would, you wouldn't have to invest money on a whole data analytics team uh, to do all the detective work, and eventually you could then spend more money on marketing. Now there, there are, you know, one of the one of the nice things about about the uh, go, a good marketing tech stack is uh, God, I'm using, I'm feeling like I'm so buzzwordy. Sorry, um, you are smart, <laughs> man. I <love> <laughs> You've got a you good, are so smart. When you've got a good marketing tech stack. Um, it, it should help with this because you can define a lead's first touch and lock that into the CRM system. And you can define a lead's subsequent touches and lock those into the CRM system. Um, so then you have to decide, how do you measure? Do I measure effectiveness and ROI based on first touch or do I measure it based on most recent touch? And that's a pretty active conversation on marketing teams. Um, I don't think there's necessarily a right answer, but you have to decide which one to choose. First touch is challenging when, you know, Pete's, Pete's the CEO, Jamie, you're the, you know, chief operating officer and I'm an intern uh, on the marketing team. And I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Pete, Pete tells you to research something and you tell me to do it. And four years ago, I came in and I downloaded a white paper and now I'm locked in the CRM system. Four years from now, your company buys. You know, 
marketing will take that as a first touch win and attribution for the win when the reality is there might have been two years of silence, you know. Well, isn't that why sales and marketing have a, a, a sort of a, a ominous relationship? Because yeah, you're because, all fight, you're trying to justify your budget. Yeah, everyone's we, trying we need to better argue. leads. Well, I need better salespeople. That's right. And the salespeople are trying to take credit for everything possible. Yeah. And I'm the one who sold it. Yeah, and we don't need marketing. I want more commissions. And that's right. And and so you know what, what where we started getting to, and this is in a lot of private equity playbooks about about um, marketing return on investment, which is where is their origination and where is their influence in a lead? And to be honest with you, influence is in many cases is as good as origination, be, you know, because, because you do have those time lags and then, and then it erases that whole conversation about, well, who's, who gets the credit for the, you know, listen, the revenue came in, we did the job we were supposed to do, is there influence here? Yes, that's really good. That's what we're supposed to do. Let's create the ROI on that. But stop fighting between sales and marketing because what we're yeah. trying to do is grow the business and the more we fight, the less we're gonna grow. Can sales and marketing be under the same leader? Yeah, I mean, you see a lot of companies put that under the chief revenue officer, Yeah. operating officer. Um, it just kind of depends on the size of the organization and, and um, I think where, where the CEO came from too, right? If the CEO comes from a business that has that, sure, that makes, makes perfect sense. So yeah, it can be. I mean, I've seen, I've managed BDRs before and that, you know, and I've managed product before. And those are two er, two um, jobs that get thrown in and out of marketing all the time, right? BDRs are in marketing, they're in sales. Products in marketing, products in, in uh, with, the, with a standalone product team. So should, should inbound sales be under marketing? I mean, it, it can be uh, when it works well. Yes, you, can, you really connect to the messages, right? I think inbound and ecom should be under marketing. Yeah, I think it, I think it depends on the company, but I mean, I listen. I've done both, and I've seen it done both ways, and I've seen it be successful, and I've seen it not be successful. So I think it depends on who your leaders are and and their experience in doing just that, and how much focus you need. Like you could have a really kick-ass BDR team and you may need a ton of, a ton of focus on your sales team. So in that case, get a sales leader who can dial in the sales team while the BDR team keeps kicking ass. And, and then that makes sense to have them separated like that too. I think it also depends on the maturity of your sales team. Yeah. Right. If you're, if you need a sales team, that's very technical and very educated and 20 years of experience, I, you, need, I you need a better product person then. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, you're not going to be able to, the BDRs that are right out of school are probably not, those older sales reps are not going to value those BDRs the way they should Yeah, because of just, the, there's such a, a huge void in, in terms of tenure and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay, to switch topics, what, you know, I, I know obviously there's, conferences and, and formal live uh, gatherings are gone. You know, the pandemic has basically shut all that down. Yeah. Uh, granted, if you're in Florida or even Texas, maybe they exist. Nah. Um, but uh, for the most part, or South Dakota, sorry, I think that's another one. But for the most part, they're shut down. So I know that that was always a focus of marketing. Uh, there was a, a component of that. Um, what are you seeing now in terms of pivoting away from that? Do we miss those? Um, were they boondoggles? A lot of times, you know, I, I spent a lot of time going to those. I always felt there was a boondoggle component to these live shows. But as a marketer, what's your perspective on that stuff? I'm eating a lot less steak now that we're not going to uh, Vegas. Oh, yeah, Capital Grill is probably suffering big time. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think people miss them more out of habit and inertia than they really miss, you know, massive demand generation. I, of, over the last six years of all the live events we went to, there was one that I thought from a demand gen perspective was good. And it was annual and it was a partner event. What and was that one? 
Uh, you want was, to give it a shout it out? A, yeah, it was the Ultimate Software Connections Conference. Okay. Um, I thought that conference was great for partners from a demand gen perspective. Um, but, you know, there are different reasons you go to events, right? So you go to HR Tech is, a, is not a demand gen show. It's a different, you go there for different reasons. But um, Would you, uh, HR Tech is a good example. That, that's more of a brand positioning yeah. to say we're a tech we're an hr tech company uh, i know like a, a career builder when we were an ad company we would sometimes show up to the hr tech when we became a SaaS or we tried to become a SaaS company or a software company we needed to be at hr tech otherwise they didn't see us as uh, you know they would call us out for not being yeah and you know all the in the, in that in that um in the same spirit jamie that all the people are there right so i would set up I mean, literally 20 meetings for our CEO and CFO with potential investors and, you know, potential M&A opportunities. And then I would do the same thing for myself with, with um, 20 analysts, you know, and we'd be there for two and a half days and you just basically talk to people for two and a half days. And um, not that you can't do that anymore. I mean, I can still pick up the phone and call any of those people. But it was a it was a nice spot where there where everybody was at one at one point. I think that's hard to achieve um, at scale online right now. Uh, yes, I mean, am, is my budget sad because I'm not having to go spend money at uh, on, on a trade show or event? No, it's saving money and repurposing it for something that has higher ROI. Well, you're also you know, the one thing that always gets forgotten about is when you have those live events uh, that are located in Vegas or whatever, it takes your executives at least one day out of pocket just to travel to those, right? Mm -hmm. the, the day they're traveling, mm -hmm. one day back. So if it's a two-day show, it's really a four-day impact on the people that are going there. And if you're a sales rep and it's in Vegas, it's probably two-week impact. <laughs> um yeah. Because they're going down before and then they're staying after and then half of them are getting fired for what they did during the show. Um, Pete, uh, you Pulling probably... Out of post. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm just saying, it does, it does avoid a lot. There's a, it's not only just the expenses. It's also the, the travel and entertainment, the time, the being in person that um, you save money on. Now, the, the part that you're missing is getting them all together. So I think it's, it's, it's interesting hearing your perspective on that, especially well, when it comes to partners, well, Jason brought it, and acquisitions and stuff like he, that. He brought it up earlier. The keyword was influence. You know, it's like a compensation plan. You, you pay somebody to the degree of influence they have on what they do or what they sell. You know, does the event influence future sales? And you have to quantify it. And that's where marketing and sales gets in a pissing match because they didn't check the right box, right? How do you know the event was worth the money that it took to go out there? We're talking about subjective things, you know, well, we got everybody together, 26 appointments and whatnot. But if you can't, you know, put, put the dollars behind it, it's, it's, it's really rough. Ain't that right, uh, Ferrara? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, when I, when I first took the job at the company that became Outmatch, um, you know, I think the first week I was looking at the budget and there was a whole bunch, there were a whole bunch of shows and all this sort of stuff in there that we were spending money on. I said, okay, well, here's what I'd like to, to my, my team there. I said, here's what I'd like. I'd like a report that just shows me even leads that came in from these, from these events. And they all looked at me with this, you know, it was like half, yes, finally, someone's asking this question and half, oh my God, I can't believe someone's asking this question. And there was no report like that. And there was no possibility to even generate a report like that. And so, yeah, I mean, I just said, okay, well, then guess, we're, I guess we're just, we just stop spending on all this stuff. Like no more money gets spent on any of this stuff until we can begin to prove that there's some impact here and assign it to something. And, um, you know, I frankly don't think there's anything wrong with that to even take it down to zero and say, well, let's start building back up and see where, see where we get to. Because otherwise you're just, you're just wasting money. You know, why, why waste money? Oh, amen, brother. Yeah. For the newbies out there, I'm going through my uh, listener questions here on marketing. Uh, Frara, can you quickly 
define these three terms under marketing for the 23-year-olds 23, 23 that are listening to us? Consumer marketing, corporate marketing, and recruitment marketing. What is the difference between the three? Because I think they sometimes people get them all confused. Yeah. Um, I would say that consumer marketing is marketing done specifically for a product that is bought directly by the person who uses it. I'm drinking a Coke. I'm eating a Snickers bar. I'm buying a lawnmower. Um directly from the manufacturer. Uh, corporate marketing, I would describe as a, a type of marketing where a company is selling to another company. That, com that, that other company could be reselling. They could be using your product. You know, if you think in terms of like Salesforce, you know, they're selling that to other companies. Those companies are using Salesforce to make money for themselves. So that's what I would say corporate marketing would be or B2B marketing is what I'd call that. And then, you know, recruitment marketing. I mean, I, I think in terms of I've got to hire people for my company. So I engage in recruitment marketing. I'm, you know, I, I, the money I spend and the things I say, and that audience is intended to be um, candidates for my, for my business. That's how I define it. Got it. Got it. Sometimes consumer and recruitment get mixed up, don't they? Yeah, I mean, if, so I hear. If, you're, if you're Lowe's, for example, or if you're, I don't know, you know, um, McDonald's or something, I mean, your candidates are also customers. So your, you know, your ability to do recruitment marketing and marketing to that end customer those two things have to be really closely tied so that a candidate understands the message and has a consistent experience, whether they go in to buy a cheeseburger or whether they go into interview. So yeah, those things will get, will get really tightly um, put together. Wouldn't you also say there's, there's another component here coming from the finance hat, right? Consumer marketing is much, much more expensive because you have to spend a lot of money on brand to a lot, a lot of people to make that work. Cause like a sales call, 95% of the people are going to say no. If you think about it, instead of advertising to, you know, 10,000 customers in corporate marketing, you're now advertising to a million buyers typically. So you're going to have to spend a lot more in brand awareness and getting your brand out there in the message. Corporate marketing can be expensive, but it's going to be typically a little bit cheaper than consumer marketing. And then recruitment marketing is going to be uh, prob it's going to be probably the the least expensive out of all of those, even though it's still expensive. I'm not saying it's not, but yeah, I think, I mean, I think definitely um, the total addressable market of, you know, who you're, who you're yeah. going out to, you're, you're right in terms of scale. I mean, more, you have to get, you have to get Coca-Cola in front of more people than, than you did, you know, outmatch, for example. Um, but I can certainly build you an incredibly expensive oh, yeah. B2B marketing program. And I mean, I think even I've, Pete, maybe, maybe Jamie, you were involved in these conversations when, when, uh, when NASCAR wanted career builder to sponsor NASCAR. And it was like, you know, the initial sponsorship with the company NASCAR was not that expensive. The activation to get people to go to races and all that. I mean, you were, we were looking at, at, at least at the very minimum, $5 million just with a partnership for them. Let it, you know, forget everything else that we were doing. Um, and so, you know, it. Were you still around when we had the career builder uh, golf challenge, the career builder open or whatever it's called? No, I, I was. And I mean, I, you know, I, I obviously knew about it with, from, uh, from Kevin and, and, uh, and, and, uh, Mike Irwin and, you know, the people that I stayed in touch with. Yeah. Um, but again, like you're exactly the, the sponsorship with the company's expensive, but the activation, you know, so I, anyway, I just total addressable market it drives cost, but yeah. certainly with B2B, we can build a really expensive B2B program. Yeah, I agree. I was just talking in broad strokes. Yeah. 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 Uh, like if I was going to define it in broad strokes, I would right. say typically, there are outliers and there are different ways you can market that can be very expensive. Yeah. 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 
Well, that, Carney, that, but that also, you know, another good idea is like long, those long-term sponsorships, like what, like somebody who maybe like somebody just bought, I, I, I doubt they had the fore, foresight into this, but somebody bought the career builder challenge from career builder. Yeah. And the pandemic hit. Um, those, <laughs> those long-term sponsorship agreements, how, how, uh, how do we go about handling those now in the marketing world? I, yeah, it's a, have a good avoid out. it, right? It's a great question. I mean, you know, the, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I feel like, I mean, first of all, the companies that I've been involved with typically since leaving career builder typically aren't big enough to even entertain that conversation, but there are long-term sponsorships that companies get involved with, whether they're golf tournaments or, or others. And, um, you know, those, those companies are, are really concerned. They're really concerned about their renewal rate and their long-term sponsors dropping out just because, gosh, it seems expensive right now. It was something that didn't seem, and for, why, for whatever reason, last January, it didn't seem that expensive. This January, oh my God, does it seem expensive because we just went through a, you know, a cash crisis and everybody started hoarding cash. And so you're like, well, I'm not going to spend that cash right now. Do I really need it? Do I really need it? You know, high level scrutiny. And I think that's Jamie where the finance team would come in too and say, okay, well, listen, let's start justifying more of your spend. Not just the normal things we try to justify, but every single thing. Well, yeah, I, I liken it also, you know, your finance would shut it down right now. Yeah. I think, I think, I think that would be one area that finance would just say, get out of every long-term agreement you have. I, I um, being a white Sox guy, right. Guaranteed rate field. They took over two years ago to invest all this money in the park. And now look, it's empty. No guarantee. No, it's no guarantee. Yeah. <laughs> right. But at the same time, just all those huge sponsorships. And that's really, I would say that's a consumer marketing spend. Yeah. Uh, in, in most cases. Um, but just think about that, that, that money that it's going to get freed up um, because no one's going to sponsor those parks um, coming, uh, moving forward until, you know, we're clear of this pandemic for good, or there's no pandemic and there's no, you know, COVID 20 coming out, you know. And, and then you got other issues that are going to pop out of there. Like what do these municipalities do that have these parks in them that no longer have a big sponsor that pays for whatever it's paying for, yeah. Um, you know, and then you've got taxes and tax wow. revenues are not going to be as high. And, you know, I mean, it's just sort right. of snowballs. Um, but I, I happen to think, you know, Workday is not going to stop sponsoring Phil Mickelson, right? I don't, I just, I don't see that as a FedEx is probably not going to stop sponsoring the, the, the FedEx cup. You know, I just, yeah. so I think they might be big enough to sustain those things. Um, Agreed. But, I think you're right with, with stuff like guaranteed rate and you know, maybe even smaller markets. Like who's going to do that? Who wants to keep doing yeah. that? Okay. I know this is around our time, but do we got anything else we want to cover inside of the marketing that we haven't hit, Jason? You got any other questions maybe I haven't asked that you were prepared to answer? Uh, two, two things we didn't really talk about okay. that I had, I had written down about, about marketing in the time of COVID that um, – seem like things that you should be doing, whether there's COVID or not COVID, but one of those is account-based marketing, um, just becoming so much more important, um, possibly now even more important than mass marketing for inbound leads. And then, uh, to can you describe to our, to our, uh, uh, listeners account-based marketing you're, you're defining as, yeah, I guess the, the way I would define it, I mean, I, you know, I, Hopefully what happens is you get a bunch of people um, commenting on this podcast saying he defined it the wrong way and you get a bunch of uh, engagement with your audience. But the way I would define it is, you know, we are going to target specific named companies in a territory and get really personalized and focused on the way we market to each one of those, of those companies. So rather than just, Hey, I'm going to, to get every company in California that's over 2000 employees. Like I'm going to talk to my rep that has California and we're going to go in and very strategically pick companies in California to go get. 
Well, and it's not not only that, right? It's I'm going to pick the companies that are specific to Git, and hopefully through different avenues of acquiring data, you know, or you've got an indication that they're 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 up for renewal with their current vendor, yeah, or they're their market somehow. Right. They're in the market somehow. There's some sort of indication. And I, that's where I think it really comes into play. And I wanted to hit that on is the data you're going to buy is always flawed. Um, you know, we had a podcast, we had Ben Goldberg on here and I'm going to give him a shout out. Um, shout. He, he, um, he said uh, with the SDRs that, you know, and the sales gig that he's working on, a lot of times what they're doing is they're using that, avenue as a way of gathering data to improve your named account list yeah, yeah. Um, and that's something to think about for anybody that's out there that's thinking about um, what you just said account-based marketing um, so account-based marketing and then the second thing and um, Pete I know how much you you love to read yeah uh, well at least you did love to read I would imagine I used to yeah um, back when you had time um, I could see I just finished the book, The Lean Startup. Ah. Um, I wish I would have read The Lean Startup like the year it was published. Um, and for if for no other reason than to really get comfortable with the concept of validated learning, which I've been using, I've been doing it, but I haven't been calling it anything. And I think validated learning, especially during COVID time, can be really powerful you know, if you have to pivot from a marketing perspective or sales or, or product, running experiments, being comfortable with running experiments, and then pivoting based on the, on the um, outcome of those experiments, incredibly powerful. And hopefully people were sort of retrenching and using validated learning during this time to come out stronger as, as a company. And it's, um, it was just... Again, I wish I'd read it when it was first published. I know I've been doing it, but I haven't been doing it with with sort of the the brightness that the book that the book talks about. So something I think for your for listeners. Great there. call, Jason. Great call. We're going to put that on the on the blog. Put a link to it. Great book. You know, and there's a good point what you said there because I, you know, one point one of my multiple different roles at CareerBuilder, I was running the niche marketing team. Mm-hmm. And I remember I had a, 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 a great person working for me that was a marketer. She still is. She's phenomenal. Very talented. If you ever need a talented person, let me know, Jason. I'll put you in touch with her. But she came. She was sort of junior at the time, and she wanted to do some experiments. Yeah. Uh, always know that when you're doing an experiment on any type of marketing, you as a marketer, you need to have a defined success outcome and it needs to be somehow data driven. It can't always be qualitative. Even if the quantitative aren't impressive stats, there needs to be some sort of quantitative stat that's backing. It could just be clicks. It could just be eyeballs. It could just be this could be time on site. It could be that what is come up with some defined strategy. Cause if you don't, you're never going to get that experiment uh, approved or passed because uh, it it can't just be a feel good. Right. Especially in today's environment. So always quantify things. Yeah. Good, good point. And try to be ahead of that as a marketer, you should control the quantification, especially when you're, you feel like this is good, figure out a way to quantify that. Cause when you're selling it upstream as you want to spend money and test this out, you better know how you're going to value success rather than, I think it'll be good. Yeah, and I, and you know, in in my experience, Jamie, marketing teams, um, you know, aren't well. The marketing teams of the companies I've been at aren't full of analysts. Those people typically live in the finance team, and so, um, you know, an- another thing I've learned is get a buddy in the finance team, on the finance team, because uh, that buddy can help with a lot of that. I know this is important. How can I quantify it? A finance buddy can help quantify those things too. And so, um, amen on the, make sure it's quantifiable, but also look around the company because marketing can be collaborative too. So look around, it has to be collaborative. So look around the company for a buddy who can help with those things. Yeah. Finance guys are usually not only good with dollars and cents, but they're data guys. So exactly. They're the origination of data guys. And no matter how well you think you use Excel, they do it better. So, you know, (laughs) get some help. 
Yes. Amen. Yes. All right. Pay well, I think, I think we've covered everything. Pete, you got anything else to add? No, no. We beat this one with a stick. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jason, for joining us. I um, loved it, guys. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. I, I was really happy to be a, a part of the sassholes for today. Yes. Oh, we're going to bring you back. You're, you're fun, Ferrara. You haven't yeah. changed. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think that's it. Pete, I think all we got is you to cue your goofy music. Oh, we got some good music coming up. Bow, wow, chick, wow, wow. Insert music here. All right. It's fucking stupid.